Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another week of the Celtics Beat Show. I'm your host, Cal Lee, and alongside of me, I got my partner in crime, my co-host for The Baseline that we do every single week on Mondays, my man Warren Shaw out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, a big-time writer, writes for www.shawsports.net, and is also one of the key cogs to help run this giant engine that we have on CLNS Radio. What's going on, Warren? Man, you know we're here for another edition of Celtics Beat. This is awesome. Our second time getting a chance to host the show. Shout out to CLNS for giving us a second opportunity here. I know we have a great guest coming on later on. So, you know, let's get right to what we got to get to, man. Boston Celtics talk. Yeah, it's that time of the year, man. Uh, We're getting very close to that fall season. Leaves are turning around up in the New England area. And that means that Celtic fans are whipping out their foam fingers. They're getting their gear ready. For another exciting season of Celtics basketball. We have a jam-packed show this week. Uh, We have a lot of topics to discuss with regards to the Boston Celtics as we get a little bit closer to the beginning of that tip-off season. But we have a special guest that we will be uh, really enthused on bringing on to our show a little bit later on. We have Tom Ziller, NBA editor and author of The Hook on SB Nation to join us as we talk a little Celtics basketball and also dig into a lot of the hot topics that are going on right now in the NBA. Let's get right into it. This is the segment where strictly Boston Celtics talk all things Boston Celtics basketball. And in a lot of the shows that we have listened to, a lot of the uh, Boston Celtic telecasts, you know, one of the major question marks that was leading into the summer is what is Danny Ainge going to do? And a lot of it was going to be predicated on whether or not the intention was a free agency. He was going to couple somebody to play alongside Rajon Rondo, which meant if which meant if that were the case, then the idea would be and their first priority would be to figure out a way to keep Rajon Rondo. But a lot of what their intentions were didn't pan out, culminated to the to the point where at draft they wound up selecting Marcus Smart, who has looked very promising, uh, looks like definitely the type of person that could be the future of the Boston Celtics, and then now puts big question marks on the status of Rajon Rondo. And now as we start getting a little bit closer to the beginning of the season, we now have to start wondering, what is this roster going to start rounding out to be? 
What should we be looking forward to? Who's going to make this 15-man roster that Brad Stevens is going to have to work with? And so as we've gotten to this point, there's been some interesting dilemmas that have happened over the course of the last couple of weeks that may start giving us a little bit more to go on as we lead up to the season. Well, absolutely. You know, right now they have, I think it's 16 guys that are currently under contract um, and they still have yet to add officially um, the signing of Evan Turner. But I know Turner has been in the area, has been working out with Jared Sullinger, who we'll talk a little bit about a little later on. Um, and they're really excited to potentially play together in, in, in the city of Boston. So something needs to happen here. Um, and some articles have come out recently on uh, HR Blakely wrote something, Celtics blog wrote something that you know, after the trade uh, that happened over the summer where they acquired Marcus Thornton and, and acquired Tyler Zeller, two months needed to pass for those contracts now to be in essence to be moved. And now those two months have passed. So with 16 guys under contract, um, a couple guys who are non-guaranteed, it looks like the time might be coming now where Boston Ainge, I mean Boston Ainge, Danny Ainge will be able to um, make a move to try to unload some of these contracts. And we just don't know exactly, you know, who, what he's thinking and who might, who might stay or go. Um, and that's what we're here to kind of discuss right now. We got to try to figure this out because there's a lot of a lot of guys with the same talent level, same skill level, and play multiple positions, play the same positions on this team. So you know, I think you're gonna have a lot of unhappy guys on the team if you continue to keep the roster as it, as it's currently constructed. Cal Lee, Warren Shaw, discussing Celtics basketball on the Celtic Beat Show. Um, Shaw, you know, you might be right. We might not need Danny Ainge. We may actually need Boston Ainge because. Wow. He has to look at this situation really for what it is. You know, we're not talking about guys that are completely, you know, jumping off the grid where other teams would be totally clamoring for some of the players that are still on this roster for the Boston Celtics. What's happening right now is this is going to be a major tryout session for some guys. Uh, some of these guys, while they have some legs under them, also – we understand that there's a reason why it's been difficult to move these guys. The contract they're either carrying or they're up in their years and or they've just not panned out to be the players that I think people were expecting them to be. Um, but one of the interesting aspects, and, and it was brought up uh, in previous shows, is the situation with regards to Brandon Bass. Uh, www.clnsradio.com and a few other sites uh, especially uh, Larry Russell, who has also written on this as well, too, has indicated that Brandon Bass is, uh, has officially put up his house in Needham for sale. Now, when people see a situation like that, all of a sudden, flags go up, alert, 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 free agency on the move. You know what I'm saying? Like, everybody just starts going nuts and going crazy because a guy puts his house up for sale. But is that really to be the case? Is the expectation is, is that Brandon Bass is, is foreseeing the possibilities that he may no longer be a Celtic and thus he's already kind of expediting that process about him making that transition, his exodus out of Boston. Well, as you just alluded to, a lot of it is just pure speculation. I think, you know, one of the articles said that Bass might have had a heart-to-heart, -heart, if you will, with management and said that, you know, it's, it's a realistic possibility that he could go um, and that he's maybe looking forward to the future with that. He has, a, again, it's kind of one of those good, decent to bad contracts. 6.9 million is... 
probably a bit steep for Bass, but he's still a guy who can produce, especially given um, you know a certain role on a team. And he can shoot. You know, he can shoot the mid range shot, and he's a he, he's a bully down low. Um, you know, not a great rebounder. Could be a little bit better than than he has been, but I think he can help a team, and he can even help the Celtics if necessary. But to speculate on you know him putting his house up for sale, I mean, we just never know with players. He may just really want to move, want to want to move to a nicer area or a different area altogether. So it, it's kind of hard to say with that. But as we mentioned in the outset of this of this segment, they just have too many guys on the roster that play the same position. And with the emergence of guys like Sullinger, then you go ahead and you know you drafted Olenek last year, then you bring in Tyler Zeller this year and via trade, you know the the minutes at that power forward center position are, are going to be very very sparse. And Bass doesn't really necessarily stand out as ahead of any of those guys, and he's the oldest one of that group. So you know you you figure that Boston is going to definitely try to develop the youth when it comes to that, and that's why you may think Bass might be on the move. Well, out of 222 games played, he's averaged 10 points, five round, roughly five and a half rebounds, shooting at 48%. 30 years old, nine-year veteran. Now, one of the things that you brought up, Shaw, and this is an important point that I think people have to take into consideration, you cannot replace experience. And a lot of these younger players, especially playing in the power four position, the reason why they don't, they can't sit on the idea that they are going to be starters is because they lack the ability to play with experience. And at the power forward position, which is a position that, you know, when you don't have a, a, a true center around you, you actually have to play that 4-5. And Brandon Bass, many occasions for the Boston Celtics, played that 4-5 position. He may not have given you the type of points and rebounds like you would see from a guy like Andrew uh, Andre Drummond or uh, maybe a Tim Duncan-like type of person, but he was a workhorse. He was a beast. And we had talked about this earlier during the summer that sometimes man that 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 grind that grit work that hustle you know that can't be replaced with a team that just doesn't know how to win basketball games and Brandon Bass brings a couple of those pieces that we still don't see with even some of the younger guys that the Boston Celtics have on this roster I mean I think those are amazing points you know and and that's exactly where his niche would be you know kind of being a veteran presence a little bit more even keeled um, than say, you know, a Rondo may be. Um, and, and if he were to stay, I think he's, again, he's not going to be disruptive. I think he had some issues in Orlando before he got there, but obviously playing in a winning culture of Boston when he first arrived under Garnett and Pierce, you know, and Ray Allen as well, you know, he definitely start, learned what it meant to be to be to be a leader on a, on a championship level team. Now, obviously, as Boston is rebuilding, you know, he has a different role and he can help them in that regard, but he can also help another team, a contending team, you know, I think a lot of a lot of teams on the Western Conference, like a Dallas Mavericks, like the Houston Rockets, could use a guy like Bass to help them in their rotations and especially give them some some shooting off the bench or even the starting lineup if necessary. You know, when I look at when I look at Brandon Bass's game, I'm trying to find somebody that would be able to come in and be an upgrade, but yet still bring that same kind of spirit, that same kind of work ethic. Um, Kelly Olnick's game, I think a lot of people see is leaned more to the to the offensive side of the ball. And it'll be a while before we actually see those, you know, the defensive requisite skills that he should be able to possess, you know, to really solidify himself. You look at Jared Sullinger, another offensive minded type of guy um, at times can disappear, um, doesn't bang a lot because of his health issues. You know, we look up and down that roster, Shaw, who do you think has an inside track to really step out and over if the idea is is that Brandon Bass may no longer be a Boston Celtic? Well, I think the guy that you just mentioned, Olenek, would probably get the most amount of the minutes um, vacated by Bass because when they drafted Olenek, they said that they viewed him as a stretch four. 
Um, and that would allow him to play a more natural four position, maybe even behind Sullinger, again, who we'll talk to a little bit about later on. Um, you know, and I think he would be the guy that comes in here and, and gets the bulk of those minutes. But, you know, what you just mentioned, too, is something else that, that Boston doesn't have a lot of, and that's defense. And Bass doesn't give you that. You know, you got to remember a couple of years ago when they still lost in that series against the New York Knicks, but Bass was out there guarding Carmelo. The previous year before that, Bass was out there trying to trying to stay in front of and guard LeBron James. So he is a, a hard-nosed guy. Yes, he has a deficiency. Yes, he's a little bit undersized. But because he's a little bit undersized, it allows him to try to kind of guard some small forwards at times. And that's something that they will sorely miss if they were to move him, obviously, depending on what they get back in return. But, to, you know, to answer your question directly, I think Olenek would be the biggest beneficiary if Bass were to end up getting moved. Um, I think there were some reports as well, too, that Zach, uh, from Zach Lowe from Grantland had indicated that uh, Brandon Bass was a part of trade talks during the course of the summer uh, with Golden State. And unfortunately, that deal didn't go through. It fell apart. If you were the Boston Celtics and, and you are trying to figure out a way uh, to bolster this team, is Brandon Bass a priority to move when doing this? Uh, we, t- we, you know, we look at the situation right now with Rajon Rondo. Is it conceivable that it's easier to put a package together to move Rondo and Bass than it is to just try and move Bass by himself? I mean, that's really hard to answer. You know, I, I, I can't say that, you know, that Bass is the most tradable asset on the, on the roster. Everyone knows that Rondo's uh, tradability right now is at, at its lowest. So I, I think if you're trying to package him with somebody, then yeah, maybe you, you, you can maybe work something together. But um, I think... Skill set wise, outside of Rondo, who's you know obviously an all star and all of that, I think Thornton is a guy who's who could be coveted by some teams. Yes, he doesn't play a lot of defense, but that ability to score and just give you instant offense and carry and carry carry a team for a quarter or for a few minutes or so is something that teams would like. It's just that the contract is a little bit expensive. But the bright side of that is that it is an expiring contract at eight point six um, for this for this final year. So to me, I think Thornton and maybe the combination of Bass are probably the the easiest contracts and players to move on this roster all right so let's go ahead and switch gears and let's talk about jared uh you know jared sellinger jared sellinger really put in the work in this off season we've seen some pictures on instagram where he has dropped some serious weight uh there have been reports where he said that he feels fine he feels great um probably the best that he's has felt in a while and while the concerns have always been whether or not he can maintain himself being on the basketball court through the course of a season, uh, the emphasis now with the overload in that position is how quickly can Jared Sullinger place himself as being a permanent fixture for the Boston Celtics? Well, I, you know, to go back to the first thing you said, Sullinger was quote-unquote promised that he would have an opportunity to play primarily the, the power forward position and not have to worry about being, you know, in the in in the trenches, if you will, playing the center position at, at at an undersized center at that, and as we've seen him in the last few years, he's has developed his jumper. He's extending his range a little bit to to play in the outside and try to shoot the three. I know a, a lot of people do not necessarily like him out there shooting that three pointer, but nonetheless, it's something that he's trying to add to his game. And Sanjay is a guy who I think could be part of the future of of, the, of this roster because he has the ability to rebound. He just has a knack for the for the basketball, and because he has a great shooting touch right now um, for mid range and trying to, like I said, extend it out. To the three-point line as well so i think he's part of what boston is trying to do he's also attractive simply because he's still on his rookie scale contract so he's going into a year three um you know and then you know have the option to kind of um uh to, to pick up his options for years years four and five and i think boston will probably do that but same thing he, he is somebody that 
teams are going to want per se, especially if he continues to develop and loses the weight and you know gets that weight off his back and off of his knees. He's definitely a, a contributing player to the Boston Celtics. When you look at the situation right now with Jared Sullinger, if the Boston Celtics do move in that direction where they want to make Sully you know, a permanent fixture at that power four position, and you look at the complementary of players that would that would be out there on that basketball court as a matter, you know, let's look at it from a matter of offensive execution. It, when you look at the situation with the small forward shooting, uh, the ability to get to the basket, alleviate a little bit of the pressure, and how Sullinger scores the basketball, you look at the dynamic differences between Evan Turner and Jeff Green. Who do you think matches up well with on that front court to play with Sully between Jeff Green and Evan Turner? Should the Boston Celtics, you know, eventually get this done and officially sign Turner on? Well, I mean, you know, again, another great question there. And you know, I at at first glance, I want to say Turner simply because he has the ability to to play make better than Jeff Green does. Um, he was able to, you know, play a great role along MCW in Philadelphia. And then obviously Turner just kind of got washed away when he was traded to the Indiana Pacers. But because of Turner's ability to to play with the ball and without the basketball, whereas Green, again, he's just waiting for you to pass it to him, and he's more or less gonna gonna shoot it every time. Um, he doesn't have the ability to to get others involved in that regard. I think you can do some things with Turner and Sullinger and pick and roll, pick and pop, especially with Sullinger's ability to shoot the mid range jumper. So to me. Turner is a better fit on, on, on the court with Jared Songer uh, for the Boston Celtics. You're tuned to Celtics Beach, the Celtics Beach show. Cal Lee, Warren Shaw, we're discussing uh, the Boston Celtics, all things Boston Celtics in this segment. Um, as we continue looking up and down this roster, and you know, I, men I mentioned Jeff Green, and I also mentioned Evan Turner, and the one person I haven't mentioned happens to be the guy that has like the second highest salary on this team in Gerald Wallace. And all through last season, it was very clear that Gerald Wallace and, Jer and, and, and Sully were just, they were not compatible. Uh, Gerald Wallace, even when healthy, I, I just don't think he found himself on that basketball court and really couldn't find himself to be an effective player uh, for what, what little offensive game he can bring to the table. With that being said, you got a $10 million guy out there. I'm sure that Brad Stevens has to figure out a way to insert him or to give him minutes or to find playing time with him, are we going to see where he actually becomes more of a bench role oriented type of player or is it going to be difficult or is he going to really put emphasis on getting these guys figuring out a way to play if both of them should be in that starting lineup? I mean, that's an excellent training camp question. I think you should go to Waltham and, you know, and I definitely ask. Brad I, Stevens I'm planning. <laughs> I might be there. Did you, did, did, I mean, did, they just need to get a seat ready, but I might be there to ask him that question. I'm saying because, I mean, really, what 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 are the Celtics doing with Gerald Wallace at this stage of the game? Obviously, he was included to make that trade, that monumental trade, you know, a year ago for, for Pierce and Garnett work. But at this point, you know, he's kind of becoming a distraction a little bit. He had a lot to say, a lot of negative comments, especially at the outset of last year. Um, and we'll see what his mentality is coming into the to coming coming into training camp this season. But he's a guy who, who I've never really liked when they when they put him at the power forward position on any team. Um, you know, they got away with it because at the time he was a little bit younger, so he had he was able to kind of drive by some of the bigger power forwards. But as the game has progressed, and you have a lot more stretch fours out there, and he's not really a great shooter, um, Joe Wallace's value at that position is not where where it once was. So he's more of a natural three guy. And as we just talked about, with Evan Turner potentially coming into the fold, you already have Jeff Green, even have James Young, you know, the rookie who could probably play the two and the three position as well, especially at his size. I just don't see where the role is for Wallace, especially if he's going to be around there sulking. 
you know, this is why we're saying it's going to be so important to really figure out what this front, what this backcourt is going to look like because all of these players need a quality guard to get them the basketball. None of these guys, Jeff Green, Evan Turner, Gerald Wallace, Brandon Bass, all of these guys that we've mentioned are going to be able to thrive in, in offensive execution without a solid point guard to put them in the best position possible to hit those high percentage shots. So with that being said, and as you know, and again, this, this there's an overload of this of these players in this position. And it, it to me, I think it's what dictates either Danny Ainge or Boston Ainge and how he's going to make a move. You know, how much emphasis should there be on that backcourt to be the offensive key for the Boston Celtics? Or it should it be in a matter of position uh, as far as getting the ball to these guys? Or really does it come down to they need to score the basketball because we don't know what we're going to get from the front court? Well, you're saying you're asking if they should focus on scoring from the backcourt? Is that is that is that Yeah, what you're like, getting? you know, when we look at Rajon Rondo, we don't look at Rajon to give you 25, right. 26, 27 points. But he had to do that last season when even coming off of that ACL injury. And now you got a guy like Marcus, Marcus Smart, a physical guy. I think a guy that can penetrate, get into the paint. Is Brad Steve just, you know, giving your, you know, your, you know, what you would want to project. Do you think that Brad Stevens would put emphasis at the backcourt, set the tone, score the, the bulk of those points, alleviating the front court because of the fact that we don't know what we're going to be getting from these guys at this point? No, I think you have to play to to what your strengths are. And if Rondo and Smart are, are guys who are primarily setup guys, you can't try to force them to become scorers and be guys that are leading your offense in, in that regard. They have to continue to set guys up, especially in pick and pop and pick and pick and roll and drive and dish out to to, to quote unquote potential shooters on this roster, which there are not a lot of those. So that's why I think the addition of Evan Turner, you know, because he can play the two position and can play the three position well, um, and he can create and he can score. I mean, again, he's 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 he, he was able to do that, especially last year in, in Philadelphia, you saw that he was able to get 17, 18 points a game pretty easily, obviously on a lot of shots. But I think on the Celtics roster, he'll be able to do that too. And as we talked about you know, towards the little middle part of this segment too, Thornton is a guy who can score too. So I think if you're looking at it from that that standpoint, you're, you're going to get some scoring off the bench. You can get some scoring from the wing position from Turner. But your point guards, um, and we haven't even mentioned Avery Bradley yet, who's another guy who needs to be set up or can he can catch and shoot off the pick. Um, but he's not really a guy who's going to be setting people up. So I, I know I, I like I like Rondo and Smart in their current roles, you know, as as ball distributors and creators. And I think you let guys like Thornton and Evan Turner, obviously, if, if Thornton is still there, I think you let those guys do the scoring along with Selinger in the in the back in the front court. You're tuned to Celtics Beat Show, Cal Lee, Warren Shaw, talking all things Celtics basketball. Shaw, let's go ahead and round this 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 portion of the segment off properly and bring it full circle. You know, we're talking about an. Uh, you know, a roster right now that's somewhere in the neighborhood of 17 players. And that means at least two players may not be on this team by the time the opening tip uh, happens. Who are the people that you're probably projecting may not be a part of this team? I know that you, I know that, that on the Celtics blog, uh, which is an SB Nation site, there is that possibility as far as their roster clearing moves go, that they may be looking to move Marcus Thornton. If that is the case, and if, and, and if that, you know, should be the idea who else do you possibly see on the go outside of someone like Thornton? Well, there was a reason they didn't guarantee the contracts of Chris Babb um, and, and Chris, Chris Johnson as well. So I think those two guys 
You know, I it, it's just it's just a numbers game, you know, and I think that's what's just going to come down to. They're not bad players. They may go ahead and catch on somewhere else. Johnson was really instrumental in what limited success Boston had last year. But I think those are the two guys that are probably looking at, you know, potentially getting their walking papers. Nobody else really um, makes any sense because you, you still have to pay them. All the other contracts are kind of guaranteed. Excellent point, Shaw, and I couldn't agree with you more. Time now for the Celtics Beats interview. And our featured interview on the Celtics Beats show is brought to you by Beats and Eats. The Beats and Eats podcast displays food, comedy, pop culture, and more. Be sure to check out Nick Gelso and Ty Ray, the Beats and Eats podcast.net. All right, on the Celtics Beats show, we have a very special guest with us. Uh, he is a premier writer. Uh, you can always catch him with the SB Nation. He's also the founder of the Sacktown Royalty blog. We have Tom Ziller with us. He's also author of The Hook. Uh, Tom, welcome to the Celtics Beat Show, man. And uh, uh, happy happy weekend. Happy Friday to you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Let's get things kick-started. Um, a lot of things have happened over the course of this last week, Tom, with regards to the NBA. And the 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 microscope is is probably more so now going to be fixated once the smoke clears with regards to the NFL situation uh, with Ray Rice and the domestic violence issue. We have a much bigger issue that's going on with another owner, uh, co-owner uh, of the Atlanta Hawks or former co-owner of the Atlanta Hawks with Bruce Levinson and general manager Danny Ferry and the email scandal that took place. You just recently had written quite an impressive piece uh, that you had uh, uh, just released a day ago with regards to where the NBA stands with Danny Ferry and the audio tape that has now just been released. What are your thoughts about how this whole situation has escalated and how the NBA, specifically Adam Silver, has handled this going forward? Yeah, you know, I, th I think Adam Silver handled it well at the beginning, um, kind of threw everyone off guard on Sunday morning right before, uh, you know, the first NFL Sunday of the year um, started that, uh, and the league released a statement saying that Bruce Levinson was, was out. Um, he had volunteered to fill his portion after an investigation. At that point, it looked like, you know, Adam Silver was on top of it. Um, as, you know, following up the, the David or the Donald Sterling issue that Silver handled really well. Um, it looked like the league was again sort of on top of it. Um, little did we know then that the Danny Ferry piece of it would become uh, such a massive issue. And, you know, at this point, um, so the audio has come out. Um, it's just been released that the actual scouting report that mentions Waldang, uh, that Ferry was supposedly reading to or reading from is going to come out today. Um, and there's a little bit of, uh, you know, by the time folks hear this, uh, it'll be out. And, um, the initial, um, indication is that it doesn't look like Danny Ferry was reading it verbatim. Certainly, um, the audio made that pretty clear. Um, and so, um, the fact that Adam Silver came out a couple of days, you know, before the audio came out and, and said that he didn't think Ferry should be penalized any further. We don't even know what the penalty was for Ferry. Uh, it may have been a fine suspension, some sort of sensitive, sensitivity training. But um, the fact that Adam Silver came out at that point when things were beginning to look bad for Ferry was, was pretty shocking. And I, I do think, yeah, this is going to bite Silver uh, a little bit. Um, I don't think it's as serious an issue in terms of Silver's exposure compared to uh, Roger Goodell because there is uh, a ridiculous amount of open lying that, that the NFL commissioner seemed to do, whereas um, we're not really sure what Adam Silver knew when, um, if he had ever you know, heard that, that call. 
um, or read the transcript. We don't know how involved he actually was in, in this decision to, to sort of push Levinson out and punish Perry at the team level. Um, so it remains unclear, at least at this point, um, you know, how this will affect Silver. Um, he could very well come out and, and um, change his mind very soon. I think he'd be uh, pretty safe um, from, from harm by doing that. I think it's pretty clear that Ferry's not going to last one way or the other. Um, either, you know, the, the current CEO uh, decides to, to boot him or, or the new owner uh, when he comes around, he or she comes around um, to do the same. Well, that, you know, I think those are great points, Tom. And then when you, when you look at the situation with Adam Silver here, you know, when he acted so swiftly, I mean, he took some time to gather some information in the Donald Sterling incident. And now we have this stuff with the Atlanta Hawks and Danny Ferry. Why do you felt like, why do you think he made the statement kind of when he did, if he didn't necessarily have all the information? Did he just really think that, okay, it, it was what it was, and that was all that was going to come of it, and now he kind of has a little bit of egg on his face? Why do you think he was so quick to make a, such, a, such a powerful statement and think that Ferry shouldn't have been, uh, no further discipline should have happened to Danny Ferry? Yeah, I, I don't doubt that from the NBA standpoint, um, they believe that the Hawks had been proactive in doing whatever they needed to do. Again, I, I'm not sure how much Silver was involved in that uh, investigation or how much was left uh, to other folks in the NBA office or whether, you know, it was really hands-off and, and they allowed the Hawks to, to take care of it um, uh, until that email came about. Um, of course, I mean, we know that there is one particular member of the ownership group in, in Atlanta who um, reportedly wants Ferry out and has for some time, um, who is sort of driving this and is probably leaking uh, all the info that we're getting. Um, and so I, I could definitely see Silver being a bit, um, and, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski has actually reported that the league is not happy with that, that particular partner, uh, Michael Guerin Jr. Um, and so I could definitely see, um, Silver reacting to that a little bit, maybe speaking out of turn, you know, he wanted to answer a question and, and he did, um, instead of sort of thinking about it more strategically and, and uh, being a bit more hands off when it comes to this stuff. You're tuned to the Celtics Beat uh, Celtics Beat Show. Cal Lee, Warren Shaw, with our special guest Tom Ziller from SB Nation. Tom, one of the things that I've noticed with regards to how this is being handled, really across the board, is there's a lot of favoritism here. Maybe maybe I'm using the word a little too strongly when I say favoritism, but there seems to be much more generosity and. Um, uh, uh, benefit of the doubt given when it comes to upper management rather than say the employees. And there's always been this emphasis of zero tolerance with something of this type of magnitude. When we're talking about uh, ethnicity, uh, racial prejudices uh, and racial denigration, um, should there not be a very harsh line drawn across the sand uh, by any sports organization, specifically the NBA who favors international um, play more than any more than any of the other sports franchises next to baseball. Do, do you feel that there should be a little bit more emphasis that zero tolerance should be um, had from the, from the get go rather than what we're seeing right now is, you know, uh, commissioners kind of falling back on their words and, 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 and realizing that they probably in haste gave a little bit too much leniency to a situation that it could actually escalate to a much bigger uh, situation. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's tough. Um, I think, you know, zero tolerance is a, is a good um, rhetorical tool that in practice doesn't um, really hold up because situations are different. There's a lot of gray area in the world. And um, so, you know, zero tolerance, not just talking about 
whether, you know, front office executives are being punished, you know, in the NBA regarding specific, uh, you know, speech that they, that they make. Um, but just socially in general, I, I think the world is a, a pretty great place. Um, and so zero tolerance doesn't hold a lot of sway with me. I, I do think, you know, you got to be careful when you're the commissioner of a, of a $4 billion, $5 billion, $6 billion enterprise. Um, you're, you know, CEO and leader and, and you're sort of um, responsible for, for setting the tone on, on conversations and, and driving things a certain way when you make a premature judgment. I mean, I, I think, you know, Adam's only been in the job a, a few months now not even a year, um, and I think he'll learn. I, I don't think he's going to get nearly the pressure that, you know, someone like Roger Goodell, who has made uh, numerous missteps over his career and has, has proven to, to be less than trustworthy on this particular issue. You know, I, I think uh, Adam Silver is going to get a little more benefit of the doubt. You know, speaking of benefit of the doubt, uh, I think Ferry is certainly getting more benefit of the doubt. Um, than, say, Donald Sterling did, uh, just given, you know, Donald Sterling's history, his reputation, um, the documented acts of racism in his past. Um, but there's, there's not that element to, to Danny Ferry. In fact, you've seen, um, some, some black Americans, um, who have worked with him or played with him in the past, um, come out in, in support of him, trying to help him keep his job. Um, so I, I think there's that element of it too. Um, whereas you know, we've, we've seen Adam Silver be strong on on race already, um, so I think this will be judged more as a misstep than a, a major crisis. Well, you know, Tom, you know, one final question I kind of want to follow up with this whole Hawks situation is, again, it is, it is taking a bit of time, in essence, for some of this, some of the reporting, in essence, to come out. And just kind of what are your thoughts on why the Hawks have kept what Ferry's punishment is? Like they've kept it really quiet, really, really mum. And as more information comes out, that might that might be, you know, more damning to him, if you will. Do you think that punishment then, in essence, is going to have to be more severe? And is, and is that maybe a reason why they haven't haven't really said what the punishment is? And then even to the other point of who, where the scouting report came from, like all this stuff is stuff that still needs to to, to to rear its head, if you will. Just kind of what are your thoughts on why it's taking so long for, for the Hawks to release all the information? Yeah, you know, I think the Hawks regard this as a closed matter. And it's, you know, the other folks that are driving the, the discussion and, and leaking everything, you know, the, the owner that's sort of driving this is Michael Jaron Jr., um, who doesn't like Ferry and doesn't like Levinson, and that ownership group has always had a lot of problems, so I think you're seeing him uh, push the issue forward, whereas, you know, according to Hawks, the issue's sort of done. Um, and so, uh, you know, at this point, I, I think the Hawks are certainly uh, wishing that they had uh, addressed it early, um, you know, announced what, what their punishment was, um, or, or, you know, take some steps to, to say that, uh, they'd continue to consult with the league about that particular issue, uh, before making a decision and waiting to see which way this, this thing turns. Um, you know, if they think they have suitably punished him, though, um, and only public outrage is changing the, the opinion now, uh, there's nothing they can really do now short of firing him, um, that, that's going to solve that. You're tuned to the Celtics Beat Show. Cal Lee, Warren Shaw, your hosts uh, this week with our special guest, Tom Ziller from SB Nation. Uh, be sure to check out his uh, his articles. You write some great stuff. Uh, so be sure to look him up. Tom, let's go ahead and switch gears uh, to Team USA basketball. You know, with all of the controversy going on, people are forgetting that Team USA is out in Spain and uh, 
you know, they're not they're they're not dancing the flamenco out there. They're they're out there with the mindset of trying to capture gold. And in in taking that one step further, they are now in the championship round, and they'll be taking on whoever the winner um, that will be uh, over over the, before this uh, before this weekend ends between France and Serbia. What has impressed you about this Team USA basketball amidst all of everything that has happened, losing their star players, losing Paul George? You know what's really impressed you about this team through the course of this tournament? I think their defense has been really impressive. Um, when you look at the lineups that are they're running out there, you know Kyrie Irving, Steph Curry, and James Harden in your starting lineup, and you're the best defense in the entire tournament. Um, that says a lot about you know, what Coach K and his assistant coaches um, have done. It says a lot about what Anthony Davis and Kenneth Farid are doing up front, um, and uh, that's been you know really impressive, really impressive to me. Um, that said, they had a you know, really weak group. Um, they haven't faced most of the, the better offensive teams in the, in the tournament. Uh, they're not going to get to face Spain after all. Uh, Spain didn't hold up its end of the bargain and fell short, uh, losing to, to France in the quarters. Um, so we're, we're really not going to get to see them against uh, the, the second best team in the world, uh, which is a bit of a shame. Um, that said, it, it looks like they're on their way to gold on that game Sunday. Um, and so, um, I guess you could say it's been a success despite all the setbacks, despite the Paul George injury, Kevin Durant and Kevin Love and Marcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin all pulling out um, at various stages. Um, I think it's been a huge success, and I think that's been surprising in a way um, that there have been no hiccups really whatsoever. Kenneth Farid has been, I guess, one of the stars of the of this run per se, you know, and I think there's been some back and forth whether or not he really is this good. Is it the fact that he's playing with people that are as great as they are, and then if he goes back to Denver, he may not be able to produce the same in the same fashion that he has been. My question to you really is, you know, who do you think is going to be the the better for the for the wear, if you will, going into the NBA season after this experience with USA? You know, is it going to be an Anthony Davis? Is it Farid? I mean, obviously we know what James Harden. It can do and kind of how he is already. So I don't think he's the guy that you really look at to gain, uh, to better, to better, to become a better player as a result of the experience. But, you know, some of the younger guys who are still developing their skills, you know, who are some of the people that you may think uh, that fall into that category? You know, I, I think the guys who play for losing teams regularly, um, getting to be part of such a huge success, uh, you know, assuming Team USA wins, wins the championship game. Um, I think that's going to be huge for them. Guys like Kyrie, who hasn't had a, a winning season in which he was a major part of it since high school. Um, or guys like DeMarcus Cousins, um, Rudy Gay's had some tough seasons um, of late. Um, you look at guys like that, and of course Anthony Davis, who um, has gotten New Orleans excited, but they, they still haven't won much in his two seasons. Um, and so I, I look at guys like that who can really benefit from the confidence boost. Um, you know, Kyrie's learning how to play with other stars, um, and that's going to uh, have huge dividends when he gets together with Love and LeBron in a couple of weeks. Um, so I think those guys are the ones that stand to benefit most. Financially, certainly, I think Kenneth Farid is there um, as a guy who uh, may be seeing a, a few more dollars coming his way, either from the Nuggets um, or, or in free agency next year. You're tuned to the Celtics Beat Show, Cal Lee, Warren Shaw, with our special guest, Tom Ziller. Be sure to catch him on the Twitter, at Team Ziller. Uh, Tom, let's go ahead and and let's talk a little Celtics basketball. I mean, that's what the heart of the show is, is talking Boston Celtics basketball. 
Unfortunately, we don't have any stars representing for Team USA, so we're going to have to stick with whatever it is that's going to come out, come opening tip in about a month or two. But one of the things that we talked already through the course of this show is what this team is going to consist of, what this roster is going to look like. There's an overload in that 3-4 that position going on right now, and the Celtics haven't even signed Evan Turner officially yet. You know, what are your thoughts about... Um, how Danny Ainge is, is handled this offseason, not being able to get a star player to jump on board with Rajon Rondo and the fact that they haven't been able to move Rajon Rondo and, and really, um, you know, the idea that they're, they're really going to basically have a big tryout squad going on leading up to the NBA tip-off. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the Celtics roster is, is really weird. I think, you know, Danny Ainge would say the same thing. It's probable that this season, their three best players um, could, could all be guards. I mean, with Rajon Rondo, Avery Bradley, who they were able to re-sign, and then the rookie, Marcus Smart. Um, those are the guys, certainly, with the biggest reputation. Um, we'll see how quickly Smart comes along and, and whether Bradley can do a bit more on offense. But, um, you know, your, your three best players uh, are potentially, you know, guards who, who don't have a reputation as great shooters. Um, that makes for a weird team. The big guys that they have uh, are not necessarily low post guys. Um, and when I'm talking about big guys, I'm talking about the threes and the fours because they don't really have much in the way of a five. Um, and it's so it's a messy little roster. A lot of swingmen, uh, a lot of guards who who are better defensively and and potentially off the dribble than they are um, shooting the ball. Um, so it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see how it shakes out. I think you know what Danny's probably doing is is you know trying these guys out, see see who's going to fit, who's worth the money. Um, there was some of that last year. He decided Avery Bradley was was worth the money, um, and some other guys not so much. Um, and so I, I think he's you know just kind of biding his time and and mounting his asset to to make a run uh, for for a star, you know, fairly soon. Tom, you know, you just mentioned, you know, an excellent point, especially when it comes to the Celtics and, and their financial flexibility. You know, they're going to have some money going into next summer, um, but you talk about people being worth the money. And you wrote an article on Rondo, kind of comparing him, um, putting him in the same position as Paul Pierce was a few years ago. And you wrote that article, I think, I believe last week. You know, kind of talk about that article. And in, in your opinion, do you think Rondo is worth the money? Is he someone that the Celtics at any age should be looking to max out and build around? Or should they be just trying to get what they can get from to continue the rebuild cost? You know, if, if you have to max them out, I don't know that there's a whole lot of benefit in doing that now versus waiting to see what the, the season holds. Um, and, and, I mean, if, you, if you're going to max them out, um, there's a, you know, probably a solid chance that you'll be one of the few teams willing to do that next summer. And he may, you know, value staying with, with Boston. Of course, you get the extra money um, from, you know, from bird rights for staying there. So, um, if you're gonna, you know, quote unquote, overpay him, um, there's no sense in necessarily doing that now. There's no pressure to do that now. Um, but if you can get him on a on a, a a less than max deal, you know, something around 15 million a year or something like that, um, I, I think he, he's worth it, uh, provided you know the medical checks out. Um, Boston knows more than anyone about his injury history, um, what the doctors say, what his body looks like. Um, and so I think, you know, you obviously weigh that heavily, but, um, otherwise, I mean, you have an elite defensive point guard who distributes the ball better than anyone else in the league right now. Um, and is a fierce competitor 
and a really smart guy. And I think those attributes all put together, even though you have Marcus Smart um, on the roster now, I think he just can't pass up uh, keeping that, uh, provided he fits in the long-term plan, uh, provided you know you can get him at a, at a reasonable rate where he's still going to be valuable, and uh, provided that, that you think you can add something um, to, to get him back in the winning ledger um, within a year or two. Real quick, Tom, before uh, you know, before we we, we let you go, uh, two questions here. Uh, the first question I got to ask you is: Would you have liked to have seen? Because you know, you you are also the the founder. You 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 have the eyes out there in Sacramento. Would you have been satisfied had Sacramento made some kind of deal to bring Rajon Rondo to the uh, to the to Sacramento Kings, coupling him with a guy like uh, Demarcus Cousins? Even though you know there was this, the 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 word was is that Rajon would not even want to resign. But if the idea was there, would you have been okay with uh, having a guy like him playing next to uh, DMC? Absolutely, and that's one of the things I think I want most in the NBA right now is for. For Demarcus to get a point guard like Rondo, you know, a, a really smart guy who's going to hold uh, someone like Demarcus accountable, give him the ball in spots that he's most effective, and play a lot of defense at that point guard position. I think the Kings need a defender and distributor at point guard position, and uh, there's no one with that combo better than the Marjan Rondo in the league right now. So I think he'd be a great fit with Sacramento. Uh, of course, you know the Kings have to weigh the the risk, costs, and the benefits as well. You know, you're, you, You'd be given up at least one, probably uh, two young assets and some combination of draft picks and players. Um, and then you'd be risking him walking away um, in a year. Um, if, if you believe that, that threat, which I think you'd have to, um, it becomes you know, a much more risky, less valuable proposition. Yeah, that would definitely be the type of gamble that a franchise like the Sacramento Kings would be more than willing to roll the dice for. Um, finally, we have what we call our Celtics beat fan question of the day. And this question comes from Vince Stefanini and Vince asked the question for you, Tom, you know, how long of a leash will Danny Ainge have? Can he continue to live off of the two impact deals that he made back in 2007 forever? I think for a very long time, I think he's been proven as one of the better GMs in the league. I think he has a lot of cachet, a lot of respect, um, hopefully no skeletons in his closet, like his friend down in Atlanta. Um, I, I think it, it would take a, quite a string of, of dismal failures um, for, for Ainge to be on the hot seat. Of course, I, I don't uh, particularly know how patient uh, Wick Grosbeck is going to be, but he's been extremely patient to this point um, in his stewardship of the team. And so I don't think there's any evidence um, that suggests that um, he would have a short leash, leash with, with Danny. There's not a whole lot of better options out there. Um, and certainly no one with the ties to, to Boston that Danny has had. Um, I think it'd be a very, an extreme long shot um, that Danny would feel any heat at all this year. I think it would take, you know, a, a totally failed rebuild um, for that to happen. Well, Tom, man, we really appreciate you gump- jumping on the Celtics Beat Show for, uh, with us this week. Your column is an awesome column. I encourage a lot of people to definitely check it out. Uh, the Hook on SB Nation. Uh, be sure to check out Tom Ziller, and he's also the founder of Sacktown Royalty. So for those who are interested about everything happening with the Sacramento Kings um, and Sacktown related, to be able to, to check it out. Tom, once again, we really appreciate you jumping on with the Celtics Beat Show by myself and Warren Shaw. Yeah, thanks, guys. And that was Tom Ziller from SB Nation. Shaw. 
One of the things that's really stood out from our conversation with Tom is the fact that there seems to be a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of leniency and patience being exercised with regards to Danny Ferry. And I don't know if whether or not this is going to be a conversation that's going to be had later on down the road. And I don't know if whether or not the forum with the NBA is the best place to have this, uh, especially with so much of the heightened attentions that's going on with, uh, with, with, with racial denigration. But one of the things that I've noticed is, is that we seem to always find making excuses because we are giving this due process type mentality or we're we're giving you know the guy the benefit of the doubt because you know he have made he may have worked with um, African Americans or with other Black athletes and things of that nature that doesn't necessarily target him as to be someone that's considered of a racist. When I don't know if whether or not the issue right here is really about being a racist as it is um, just showing poor judgment in expressing his feelings about other players and using ethnicity as one of those basis. Well, I mean, I think the most poignant thing I got from, from Ziller's comments was, you know, that zero tolerance when it comes to things like this is, is more, more of an idea than it is um, an, an absolute application. You know, it's one of those things like, oh, you know, this is what we think our policy will be. But when things kind of come into play, it's like, all right, well, 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 let's really take a look at that. And, you know, I mean, I think that that might be fair, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, because zero tolerance also also is almost kind of like, you know, um, uh, you're charging somebody guilty without actually having all the facts per se. So, and, you know, and talking definitely his points about the, the court of public perception, I think we're very apropos in regards to Ferry in this Atlanta Hawks situation. And again, and it's definitely fluid, you know, something that we still need to wait to see how it's all going to progress and, you know, what the, what the penalties and fines or whatever else is going to, is going to come out of it. But, you know, there's a lot, a lot of stuff going on there between the ownership that having has their own internal beef. Um, and then with Ferry's comments, whether it's a scouting report that was read, um, from another team, you know, and, and how he, in essence, could have kind of glazed over. He didn't necessarily have to say, he didn't have to read it verbatim. Um, again, it's still still very much in flux, and I think his points were really great on him. And what were your thoughts, Shaw, with regards to Tom Ziller's response to the question of the day by Vince Stefanelli? Um, for people who want to get their question in in future shows, be sure to go to facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Uh, to pitch your question, but what were your thoughts with regards to Danny Ainge really still having a placement and and being considered really one of the top uh, GMs based off of what he's done over the course of the last few years, including those deals in 2007? Um, I don't think he's incorrect. You know, there are guys in the league like Ainge, um, even and like Kupchak, even with the Lakers, you know, the Celtics main rival, if you will. They they they've proven to be pretty good over over the course of time, and that they do they are going to have a little bit longer leash in terms of uh, trying to rebuild and maybe even making 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 a mistake or two. I think, you know, we as Celtics Celtics Beats hosts, we're a little bit closer to the situation, so we see everything. We see everything that Ainge does wrong per se, but there's a lot of people out there, a lot of general managers that are worse than him and have been wrong for a very long time. Um, so yeah, he could have made a couple picks that were better. Um, but in the in the grand scheme of things, he has done you know a phenomenal job as a Boston Celtics general manager. And I don't think Ziller was off in the, in, in his quotes and saying that you know there's going to be a long leash with this. Bruce Beck shouldn't be you know trying to fire Ainge um, you know anytime real soon. And my final thing, I want to kind of even ask you, Seals. I thought he made a great point about Team USA in terms of you know the guys with the losing culture um, and how they are going to be the biggest benefactors of, of playing in Spain. You know, what are your thoughts about that? I I, I completely agree and. 
to me, nothing was more indicative of that point that Tom brought out than looking at the character of DeMarcus Cousins. If people have watched DeMarcus play through the course of this Team USA basketball, he's really been a model type of player. Even in the game against Lithuania in the semifinals, a crucial element during the course of the game where Jonas Valachunas basically dropped an elbow all up in his Adam's apple. And DeMarcus Cousins' first initial reaction was to clock him upside the head like he normally would in any typical NBA game and probably get a tech and leave that regular season game. But he understands the magnitude of this game. He understands that this is a game that's supposed to get them to the finals. And he believes that he's an important piece to them getting to that part, to that, to that place. And so he kind of holds the better part of, 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 of valor, so to speak. He takes the high road. And although he only got a technical, the fact that he shows res, uh, resolve in his actions, to me, says a lot about the maturity and the maturation process that he's taken, which was something that of a, of a, a misnomer over the course of the, last, of the first few years of his career already. It's amazing that DMC almost didn't make the roster, according to some reports. And I think, yeah, he's definitely going to be one of the guys who are definitely better for this experience in Spain. And I think his point too about Kyrie, something we've talked about even on our baseline podcast, um, Kyrie being in Spain is helping him learn to play without the basketball. And it's something that he's going to have to do going into Cleveland, playing with LeBron James, and even have to share the, little, share the ball a little bit with Kevin Love. So I think those two guys probably are going to be the biggest benefactor. All right. This is the Celtics Beat Show. Your host, Callie and Warren Shaw. And I think you all know what time it is. Mr. Shaw, are you ready to go around the NBA in five? Absolutely, man. Let's get it. All right. Danny Ferry, GM of the Atlanta Hawks, is taking an indefinite leave of absence due to the heat received regarding that audio, which he's denigrating Luau Dang and the African community. Was this a necessary move by the Atlanta Hawks? I think it was, and Ferry was smart. You know, a quick excerpt from his actual statement. My focus moving forward is to tirelessly work to rebuild the trust within this community and our fans. He realizes that his words may ring hollow and may future actions must speak for him. Um, yeah, Danny Ferry, you need to get your life together. Absolutely. So this is a good move for Atlanta Hawks getting him out of there for right now. Owner Steve Croonan made this a point, and I think that uh, this was the right move. He sat down with Danny Ferry. Danny Ferry willingly decided to do this. This is necessary uh, in a heightened situation, especially with so much going on with athletes and owners all under the microscope. I think Danny Ferry is one of the few people that actually made the right move by taking a step back, stepping away from the game of basketball and realizing that this is a societal issue in what he's and in what his mistakes have led to. Funny enough, though, in Atlanta, Dominique Wilkins has also expressed ownership after the whole situation with regards to co-owner Bruce Levinson. Yeah, I mean, I think this is another interesting move here. You get a guy who's been in the Atlanta-based community for a long time. He worked with the Hawks broadcast team and has been in the organization for a minute as well. So if he gets to become an owner, I mean, it's kind of like Magic doing the same thing on his side in L.A. I think this would be an interesting move for Atlanta and not just because Dominique happens to be an African-American. All right, Paul George has made comments regarding the Ray Rice situation, basically backing Ray Rice, and had to quickly retract that statement. Matter of fact, he pulled a tweet. Larry Bird and the Pacers organization were none too happy about this thing. No, they were not, man. Larry Bird was quick to get on the case and the same thing, issue a statement. All those emails came and came into my inbox and I was, you know, quick to see that Larry Bird said, listen, we're, we're embarrassed by what Paul George says. He realized he was being immature and being insensitive to the situation. So I think it was a good move by Bird to kind of rein in Paul George who has nothing but time on his hands now as he's recovering from injury. Somehow, when you break your leg, I didn't think it also meant that you were going to break your cerebellum. What was Paul George thinking? I mean, I understand that you're trying to look out for one of your fellow 
uh, 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 friends and, 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 and he's an athlete and it's you know it could also set a, a, a precedent with regards to how pro athletes are being scrutinized but there's a time and a place for everything and just that was not the form for him to actually speak out about anything with regards to the Ray Rice situation too sensitive Paul George just needed to keep his mouth shut and nothing else you could have sent out a text via the phone supporting Ray Rice not a tweet Absolutely agree with that. Moving on, though, we have Chauncey Billups, you know, one of the great all-time NBA players. He is now retired. You know, it's kind of amazing to see this happen. Thought he had one more year. What are your thoughts on the matter? As a as a player who used to play for the Boston Celtics, I, I wish that I saw Chauncey Billups' career blossom as a Celtic more than I did see him blossom as a Detroit Piston. But if anything, one thing that Boston Celtics fans can take from it is that Chauncey Billups understood how the NBA operates and what what happened to him in Boston he really took charge of his career he made the most of it and he became a dynamic shooter more than anything else a great leader on the basketball court I'm happy for him he walks away from the game I think on a much higher note because of his influence to a lot of other players and uh, I like to see him still continue to do good works in the NBA yeah amazing locker room guy I think the question is whether he's not if he's Hall of Famer or not 110th all-time on the scoring list I think he's 39th all-time in assists not necessarily Hall of Fame numbers, but again, you know, people are still making that question. All right. Byron Scott announces his preliminary starters and it doesn't have Swaggy P and uh, it also doesn't have Julius Randle. Rookie already having to earn his stripes early and we haven't even seen training camp yet. That's ah, amazing. But that's what happens when you claim a guy like Carlos Boozer, a veteran um, off, 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 off the amnesty clause there. And then you have to kind of plug, plug him into the lineup. And with Swaggy P, you sign him to a nice contract. I think it was a two year deal. Um, and now he's still going to be the sixth man. But again, there's a culture change here in L.A. And so IGP is kind of having just uh, to bear the effects of it. All right. One thing I'm looking more more forward to now because of all of this is how Julius Randle handles that. Can he truly compete and put himself in a position where he could be discussed as a starter? Byron Scott has got a lot of work ahead of him. But I think the Lakers have done the right thing in hiring a guy who exercises patience. And I think that uh, that relationship with him and Julius Randle will work out lovely. Jerry West gets an extension as with the Golden State Warriors. Big big time move for the Warriors? Yeah, smart move. They just you know they just extended the general manager Bob Myers as well. So they're just trying to keep that front office and all that all that management system in, in play. They want to make sure that they're doing the right thing moving forward. All right, Jerry West A. Anytime Jerry West's name is mentioned in the echelons of anything regarding upper management, that means that that organization is good for years. Absolutely. And finally Greg Monroe um, got the DUI and he kinda um, he pissed on himself. Didn't piss off the police, but he pissed on himself, man. What was up? I don't know, but I know if Greg Monroe told the cops to piss off, it probably would have had the cops laughing a whole lot more than how that situation played out. Absolutely. Disaster in Detroit, especially coming into his contract situation, man. And that is the NBA in five. Woo! Awesome show, Shaw. I mean, from top to bottom, we covered so much just within an hour's time frame. Really, 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 really impressed uh, by, by just... So much of what's been discussed, man, really keeping a finger on the pulse of everything that's been going on in the NBA and more importantly with the Boston Celtics. And I feel like I said every week that it's supposed to be the offseason, but there's just so much news going around the league. Um, some good, some bad. Um, but thanks to Tom Ziller from SB Nation for coming on and sharing his thoughts on what's going on, obviously, in Atlanta. But more importantly, what's going on here in, in, this, in the city of Boston with the Boston Celtics. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, man. And so that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Celtic of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Chuck Dietz. Astrovex and Steph Lagarteau. Be sure to follow us on the social media. Our Twitter handle is at Celtics underscore beat. And you can like Celtics beat 
on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. We'd like to thank our guest, Tom Ziller from SB Nation, for our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, executive producer, Larry H. Russell, my co-host, Warren Shaw. I am Cal Lee. We will see you guys next Saturday afternoon for another edition of Celtics Beat, exclusively on CLNS Radio. Radio.